Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. How many of you have ever been on a road trip of maybe a thousand miles or more? Let me see. You've been on a road trip, not just an hour or two, but a, a little bit of a road trip, maybe a full day or a couple of days. And I had not really been on any road trip of, of that length, I don't think, until um, about 10 years ago, my wife and I, we, uh, we took our, at that time, three kids and uh, went about 6,000 miles on a road trip to her brother's wedding. We made it our, our family vacation for that year. But I learned something on that road trip and probably just in driving in general and some things that you've learned as well. And that is, I'm thankful for road signs, aren't you? They tell you what's coming. They tell you what city you're entering, what state you're entering. They, they keep you on track. I remember one time when we lived in Northern California, we drove down to Disneyland and I didn't pay attention to the road signs. Ashlyn, I think at that time, was it maybe just Ashlyn? She was probably, if she would have been two or three, Titus would have been one. It was either just her or maybe Titus was a newborn. And we came down to Disneyland and came to this area and we were driving back and we got over the grapevine. And at the grapevine, there's a spot where if you kind of keep going straight, what, to, what feels like the, you're in the left-hand lane and you just keep going, it doesn't take you to the Bay Area. It ends up taking you, I think it's the 99 up to Sacramento. And I was about an hour or two on the 99 before I figured out this doesn't look like the I-5. There's a lot more trees. There's a lot more restaurants. The I-5 doesn't have much of anything, does it? It has a few truck stops and some gas stations. And I didn't follow the road signs, but I'm thankful. Road signs, they'll tell you what's coming ahead, how far it is to get to where you want to go. There are signs that'll tell you where the next restaurant is or hotel is or gas station is where your exit is, whether it's a one-way one road or not, what the speed limit is, and the list goes on. There are road signs that get us excited, especially if you're, if you're maybe hungry and you find you're, you're craving a certain maybe Chick-fil-A or whatever it is, and you see that sign, road signs about what's coming up that are positive and get us excited about what's coming up. And then there are road signs that maybe we don't like to see. They warn us of a danger or an obstruction or a hazard or construction, and they detour us. And they send us a different way so that we won't end up going where we're not supposed to go. When I first moved here, down here, I was getting used to all of the, the road signs and, and, and the, the, just getting around. And I forget where I was going. It was late at night. And I was going somewhere. My GPS was sending me back to get back on, I think, the 91. And I went to go, and the exit, it said, closed for construction. So then I didn't know where to go because I was just following GPS. I had no idea. So I turned around and started driving somewhere else. And my GPS rerouted me. And the next place closed for construction. And those signs were not real exciting to me. They frustrated me. They kept redirecting me. But they were keeping me from driving into a place that I shouldn't have been. And and to end up seeing something happen that shouldn't have happened with, with my car or there. And maybe there's construction or an accident or some other danger. Again, you might see a sign that, that gets you anticipating what's coming up. I'll never forget that road trip, 6,000 miles to and from Iowa. And we went the southern route along the way through Texas, through New Mexico, Arizona, Texas, up through uh, Tennessee, I think. And we did some different sites and things along the way. And on the way home, we took the northern route. And we were going to go through South Dakota. 
and we're going to see Mount Rushmore and some other things. There's a cool, near Mount Rushmore, there was, I don't know if it's still there, but there was a cool drive-through zoo in Bear Country, USA or something. They had a bunch of bears and, and animals, and they'll, you can drive through, and, and uh, they'll lick your bumper, and they were licking all the flies off of our car, and and we were there, and I'll never forget, as we were driving from Iowa and, and going towards South Dakota, we began to see a sign, the first one, and I didn't really get it. It was kind of a weird sign. And if you've ever driven uh, Interstate 90, you know what I'm talking about, because these signs are every few miles in different forms for about 650 miles. I think we have one there, and it was advertising free ice water. And I thought, what? Every place has free ice water. You can get free ice water literally any restaurant, any store, any truck stop you go into. And it was called Wall Drug. And I thought, I wonder what that is, the first one I saw. And then about two or three miles later, I saw another one in a different design. Free ice water, truck, gas, restaurant, cafe, hotel. And literally, if anybody ever driven the 90 and seen these signs, been in South Dakota, a few of you have been there. And it is, it is for hundreds of miles Every few miles, it's advertising wall drug. At that point, I've seen it. They've gotten me so excited about it. There's no way I'm passing this place without stopping in. And, and you'll find them. It's not only in South Dakota. They have these signs in Montana, in Minnesota. And they didn't stop in the U.S. They have th these signs advertising how far wall drug is have been found in Paris, in Rome, in Amsterdam, in Shanghai, even on the double-decker buses in London. I have a picture of one in Morocco that, that somebody put up there. And uh, it says, Wall Drugstore, 10,000 miles. There's the arrow there. There was one in France during World War II and, uh, that showed 4,000 miles away. The next one, they've even had them in the North Pole and the South Pole, people that have traveled there and have taken this sign. And this guy, he and his wife, they purchased this drugstore in the middle of the Great Depression. In 19, I think it was 1931, they purchased it. And, uh, and, and for me, for me, after when I saw the first sign, it was kind of amusing, then the second, then the 20th, then the 100th. After seeing those signs for hours upon hours, there was no way I was possibly driving by without stopping. We have a picture of what you actually find when you get there. And there it is. It's just this. You see it, Ted, Bill, and Rick, Husted's Wall Drug Store. And it's grown, and now you can buy candy and, and food and free ice water. And I think one of the things they advertise is five-cent coffees. And it's, it's here in this town of Wall, South Dakota. Ted Husted bought this, this drugstore uh, in 1931 in this town that at the time had a population of 231 people. The booming metropolis of Wall has now quadrupled to 814 residents. And this drugstore in a town of 814 people draws as many as 20,000 visitors on some summer days. Last year, they brought in more than $10 million in revenue and, and have thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands of guests annually, if not millions, the power of properly placed signage to influence the decisions of our lives. In your travels, you might see some signs that aren't quite as exciting. They aren't advertising an attraction, but actually warning of an impending danger. One like this one here that says, bridge out, coming up. up. And, and obviously, if you were to see this sign, the bridge is closed, the bridge is out, you would want to stop the direction you're headed, turn around, and find a safer path to follow. Again, what are the purposes of all of these signs? As you drive home, the purposes of these signs are to let us know where we're headed, what's coming up, and if we stay on this road, here's where you're going to end up, whether it's good 
or it's bad. Tonight I want to bring a message entitled, Danger, Toxic Leadership Ahead. We're going to see tonight some warning signs in the life of King Saul as he heads down a path of destruction. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 14, but I want you to see a couple verses in chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter number 15. We find ourselves, we were in 1 Samuel 14, three messages ago in this series. Then we took a two-message break and we looked at toxic leadership doesn't have to define you with the life of Jonathan and the life of David. And just because somebody has mistreated you or been an unhealthy or ungodly leader in your life, that does not give you the right or even the justification uh, to say, well, that's why I am the way that I am. And we saw that with David and Jonathan. They didn't allow the unhealthy leadership in their lives to affect their decisions in their lives. But we're going to go back where we were finished up and finishing up uh, three messages ago in 1 Samuel 14. And I don't know how many more messages will be in this series. I think probably four or five more. Um, but we're going to continue to study through the life of King Saul. And in the next chapter, not, not in 14, but in 15, we're going to see Saul's poor leadership decisions that have been building are going to culminate in God's rejection of Saul. And I want you to see what I believe are maybe some of the saddest verses in Scripture. Chapter 15, verse number 10. 10 and 11. Chapter 15, verses 10 and 11. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel. Samuel, again, remember, was the prophet of Israel. He's the one that had anointed Saul as the first king of Israel. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, look at this. Would you read it aloud with me? Ready? Begin. It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. For he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. God said, I wish I had never made Saul king. It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. Look at verse 26. And we'll study this in more, in more detail probably two or three Sunday nights from now. Next week we have the Messiah and the Passover. Easter Sunday is a modified service schedule. And so that next week will be in chapter 15. But look at verse number 26. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. We see really the destruction, the announcement of the destruction of Saul's life and leadership. Now he'll remain king for, for some time here, but it's, it's done basically. God has announced, not only does it, does, does it repent me, am I sorry that I made him king? But Samuel told him, it's it. You, you, you made your choice. God has rejected you from being king. We see the destruction of his life and leadership in verse 15. But what I want us to see in verse 14 are some of the signs, the warning signs that led that if Saul maybe would have seen these, he maybe could have stopped, turned around, and headed down a wrong path. And what I want us to do is I want us, as we study chapter number 14, I want each of these things that we see in Saul's life, I want us to ask ourselves, do we see these things popping up in our lives? And if we do, hopefully we'll be honest and humble enough to see them before they're too late, stop the path we're headed, turn around, and begin to please the Lord in our lives and leadership once again. I want us to see how do we know if we're heading down a path of toxic leadership in our lives. Let's look into the text by way of review. Let's get back and, and remember where we were in this passage. Saul has been made king. And, uh, and, and in chapter 14, 
Jonathan and his armor bearer go up, and God begins to win a great victory uh, against the Philistines while Saul was mistreating those under his leadership. Saul's son, God was using uh, to win a great victory. Look at chapter 14, verse number 23. Chapter 14, verse number 23. So the Lord saved Israel that day. By the way, notice it was God that did it, not Saul, even though he used Jonathan. And the battle passed over unto Beth-Avon. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged of mine enemies. So none of the people tasted any food. We talked about this in depth three messages ago. I won't take the time to get there. But what we see here is King Saul uh, being really a, a very abusive leader to those under his leadership. He told his soldiers, go fight for my name, and you're not allowed to have any food. And it wasn't, even, it wasn't even Saul's leadership that brought the great victory that they were enjoying. It was Jonathan's faith, Jonathan and, and his armor bearer that had stepped out by faith. God was blessing, and they were winning a great victory for God's kingdom. And I guess you could say, humanly speaking, Saul's kingdom. But Saul is mistreating those under his care while Jonathan is, is, is working and God is blessing. Look at verse 25. And all they of the land came to a wood, and there was honey upon the ground. And when the people were coming to the wood, behold, the honey dropped. But no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. Again, toxic leadership leads to those under us living in constant fear. But Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people with the oath. Jonathan didn't know his dad had made such a, a crazy uh, a decree to his soldiers. Wherefore, he put the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it into, into a honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes were enlightened. He got, he got some strength. He got a little Red Bull there. Verse 28, then answered one of the people and said, thy father straightly charged the people with an oath, saying, cursed be the man that eateth any food this day. And the people were faint. Not only are those under leadership fearful, but often faint. Verse 29, then said Jonathan, my father hath troubled the land. See, I pray you how mine eyes have been enlightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more if happily the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found? For had there not been now a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? My dad's controlling leadership is actually counterproductive to what is his cause. We could have killed so many more if we would have been strong enough. It doesn't make any sense. Verse 31, and they smote the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon, and the people were very faint. Verse 32, and the people flew upon the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground, and the people did eat them with the blood. Now again, understanding this is the children of Israel, the Old Testament dietary laws, they were not to eat uh, uh, food that had not been properly prepared, what we would call today kosher. When you go, if you go to Israel, you'll, you'll find at McDonald's, they'll have two separate kitchens where they prepare different things. And in one kitchen, uh, they will not prepare anything with cheese. And they, anything that has cheese on it can only be prepared in this separate kitchen. They, they took their, they still, some of them take their dietary laws very seriously from the Old Testament. And, and they were not supposed to eat the blood of an animal like this. And, and, but they flew on the spoil. Why? Their desperation, their hunger from, from Saul's, what I believe as we study here, Saul's unwise and really unreasonable leadership had helped to lead. Now, they still could have made the right decision, but helped to lead them to do things that they probably never would have done otherwise. And I want you to see then in verse number 32, notice what it says, or I'm sorry, verse number 33. Then they told Saul, saying, Behold, the people sin against the Lord. By the way, not eating the honey was a sin against Saul, his command. 
eating the blood was a sin against the Lord. This controlling, this unreasonable leadership had led the people not only to disobey their human authority, but, and, and I'm not, we're going to talk about it here in a minute. They had personal responsibility, but it had contributed to them choosing to disobey their heavenly authority. And, and he says here, they have sinned against the Lord in that they eat with the blood, verse 32. And he said, that is Saul, what is the word? What's the next word? Starts with the letter Y there. And he said, what? Ye have transgressed, roll a great stone unto me this day. I want you to see the first warning sign in, in our lives, I believe, before we find destruction in our lives as, as followers of God or as leaders in some area of life. Number one, the first warning sign I see here with Saul, and we see it, we see it all through this passage, is we reject personal responsibility. Saul didn't take any responsibility for the part that his treatment had in the decisions his followers had made. You have sinned, not man, did I mess up? I probably should have let him have some lunch. And by the way, you'll find all through here when, 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 when Samuel came to Saul and he said, why did you, why did you go in and, and offer a sacrifice? He said, well, you were late. It wasn't Saul's fault. It was Samuel's fault. All through here in Saul's life, you'll find over and over and over again, whenever something wrong happened in his life or in his leadership, it was never his fault. It was always, well, somebody else made me do it. Well, you rolled the stone. It was always someone else's fault. And I don't know about you, but, but I find in my own life, we're great at finding why it's somebody else's fault that things are the way that they are and, and why it couldn't possibly be us. You ever find yourself doing that? Something's not going right in your marriage. Well, it must be your spouse's fault. Something's not going right in your home. Well, it must be either your children's fault or their friend's fault or somebody else. It couldn't possibly be my leadership. It couldn't possibly be my, my sweet little child. It couldn't possibly be that. Those under my leadership are, are, are at work are lazy and uncommitted. Well, what, what's our go-to? Well, this new generation, they don't make them like they used to. These millennials, you know, they don't know how to work. Whatever the newest generation is, Gen Z, or I'm, I, I need to go study whatever the, the younger generation is. Does it, Ty, do you know what generation you are? I don't know what generation. Anybody know what generation the teenagers are? What is it? You have no idea, Steve. What is it? No, I'm just kidding. You're old like me, Steve. No, see, that's what it is right there. I'm not going to say it, Steve. We have all, it's all their fault. It's all the, it's, it couldn't possibly be my leadership is not inspiring them to commitment. It couldn't possibly be my treatment of that generation. It's just this. And by the way, every generation thinks the generation coming behind them isn't quite made of the same stuff they were made of. The generation that came before you, whatever generation you are, thought the same thing about you. And it couldn't possibly be that my leadership doesn't inspire those under me. It's just this generation is lazy and uncommitted. That's not true. Well, my son or daughter doesn't get playing time on the sports team. Well, it's because that coach plays favorites. It couldn't possibly be because my child isn't a hard worker or is a selfish teammate. It couldn't possibly, there's no way it could be our responsibility. My child got in trouble and well, it's, it was his or her friends or that teacher didn't really understand what happened. It couldn't be because my child has a sin nature like me and at times my child is unkind and manipulative in ways that I don't see at home. My parenting has coddled them maybe so that they know they can get away with it because I will always take their side. It couldn't possibly, a bad grade on the report card? Not, not a chance, it's my kid's fault. The teacher didn't explain it properly. They, they gave us the homework too late. 
And if we're not careful, we're great at finding why whatever it is in our lives is not our fault. And I do the same thing. The church is falling apart. Well, that's because today's Christians just aren't as committed as they used to be. It couldn't be because as a pastor, I've not modeled and fostered a culture of godliness and consecration and commitment. Maybe I need to look in the mirror if there are things in the church that I feel like, man, what, what's happening there? And is this thing falling apart? Maybe I and the other spiritual leaders of our church need to take a look in the mirror instead of all the blame is on, on just complacent, ungodly Christians these days. Well, it could be my spiritual leadership. It could be my leadership as a husband. It could be my leadership as, as a dad. He didn't take personal responsibility. It's always their fault. My employees, my kids, my kids' friends, my spouse, my coworkers, my mom, my dad, my pastor, the way I was brought up. No, take personal responsibility for the direction of your life and your actions. It's not always their fault. Sometimes it's mine and sometimes it's yours. And I see with Saul all through this scripture, it's going to lead him to destruction. But he was not willing to stop and look in the mirror and say, I have sinned. What did Nathan, Nathan didn't see it either. I'm sorry. David didn't see it either when Nathan came to him, you remember? And Nathan said, thou art the man. What do you think, David? What if somebody did this? I can't imagine someone acting like that. And what did Nathan say? You can't even see it in your own life. Thou art the man. Take personal responsibility, David. You're the one that messed this up, not anybody else. Then look at verse number 37. Verse number 37. And Saul asked counsel. So they told them that the people had sinned and some people had eaten with blood. And Saul asked counsel of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into the hand of Israel? Should we keep fighting and go after them? The Philistines are retreating. But he answered, God answered him not that day. Verse 38. And Saul said, draw you near, you near hither all the chief of the people and know and see wherein this sin hath been this day. For as the Lord liveth, which saveth Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. Notice the last phrase of verse 39. But there was not a man among all the people that answered him. He says, let's deal with this sin that I heard about when I wasn't watching. And I don't care who it was, if it was my son, whoever it was, even if it's my son, he's getting put to death. And do you see that last phrase right there? Do you see it? But there was not a man among all the people that answered him. How do you know there's toxic leadership ahead? Number one, in your life or in mine? And by the way, this message is not all about us having just this checklist of, yeah, I think that, that guy, my boss at work is a really bad leader. My husband's a really bad leader. This is about us taking, again, personal inventory. How's my personal responsibility? Am I owning any of the, the, the faults and failures in my life, or is it always someone else? The way I was brought up, the way I was handled there, the way I was treated there. How do you know when danger's coming? Danger, toxic leadership ahead. Number one, we don't take personal responsibility. We reject personal responsibility. Number two, wh wh where can you see that it's coming when there's a lack of honest communication in your life? There was not a man among all the people that answered him. It's a dangerous thing for any of us when no one is ever speaking into our lives about anything that we may disagree with or any concerns that they may have. I've read the statement years ago, and I've, I've, I've pondered it often as God has given me opportunity and leadership in my marriage and in my home, with my children and, and in ministry. Leaders who can't be questioned usually end up doing questionable things. 
a dangerous thing. And so in my life, I have set up, there's a, there are layers of, of people that I regularly seek accountability from. And I ask because all of us have blind spots. All of us have things we don't see. There are things my wife sees in my life as a husband that I don't see. And she'll tell, my kids will say, well, dad, you were this. I wasn't upset there. I didn't handle it that way. No, dad. And when five kids agree, I'm probably the one that's wrong. And in my life, I've, I've had to set up in my life who it is that can speak into my life. And I want you to think back and ask yourself, when was the last time that you allowed anyone to point out an area of your life where you were off track? As a husband, a wife, a parent, a Christian, an employee. Again, in my life, I've sought to be intentional. I've not always done a great job with it, but I've sought to be intentional to seek out accountability and instruction. I have, there are some family members in my life that I reach out to regularly that know me closely. I have several pastor friends, probably about five, that, that I can speak to and I do speak to regularly and ask them, help me understand this. Here's what I'm thinking. How, am I missing something here in my pastoral leadership as a husband, as a father, as a Christian? There's, there's some of my co-laborers on staff that I will uh, individually seek out and, and ask for counsel and guidance and talk to honestly. There are, there are a few church members in our church that I'll go to with struggles. There's a Christian counselor that I talk to a few times a year and I run things by and we'll get breakfast together and I'll talk to him. There are some others who I regularly ask to speak into my life. Why? Because we all have blind spots. Is anybody talking to you about yours? Can anybody tell you where it is you've made some mistakes in their opinion? And by the way, their opinion might be wrong, but don't just mark it off as wrong right away. Can anybody talk to you? And if, if nobody has helped us see something unwise or unhealthy in our lives in recent months, that's a danger sign there's probably some danger ahead in our lives. Most of us freely give our opinions on how others are not handling things wisely in, in their lives. Who are you allowing to do the same in your life? The Bible talks about going to people that are more aged, more, more experienced, more spiritual, more godly, and letting them teach you. Letting them speak into your life. What do you see? Is there, is there something you see? I'm heading down a wrong track here. Is my thinking off right here? Would you talk to me? Would you give me open and honest counsel? If you don't have anybody in your life and if I don't have anybody in my life like that, it's a good sign. There's some dangerous decisions, some destructive decisions probably around the corner in our lives. Let's keep going and see another danger sign. Verses 40 to 44. Then said he, so he says, I don't care who it is, I'm gonna kill him. And they didn't answer him. I believe it's because the people were scared to death. He's about to kill his son. Verse 40, then said he unto all Israel, you go on one side, me and Jonathan are going the other side, and the people said unto Saul, do what seemeth good unto thee. If that's, that's what you want to do, I guess go for it. Therefore Saul said unto the Lord God of Israel, give a perfect lot. And Saul and Jonathan were taken, and, but the people escaped. They may have used dice or something of that nature. They, they threw it out to find out which side. So, okay, tell us, is it, is it the right hand or the left hand? Where all the people are, is that where the sinner is? Or is it me or, me or Jonathan? And the, the lot fell on Saul and Jonathan. Now notice what it says in, in verse number 42. And Saul said, cast lots between me and Jonathan, my son. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what thou hast done. And Jonathan told him and said, look at this. This is the infraction. This is the capital offense. I did but taste a little honey with the end of the rod that was in mine hand. And lo, I must die. And Saul answered, God do so and more also. No mercy. 
No grace, no communication, no understanding. That's right, you're going to die, and I hope it's even worse. For thou shalt surely die, Jonathan. What's the third danger sign in our lives? Number three I see here, Saul held people to unreasonable standards. He held people to unreasonable standards. They could never measure up. We hold people in our lives to unreasonable standards. That boss, that coworker, that husband, that wife, those children, that spiritual leader in our lives. That we're always finding. And here's, think about, think about the culture. Think about the culture and the morale in Saul's family and in Saul's kingdom and in Saul's army. Jonathan knew. What did you do? Jonathan didn't try to hide it. He told him, I ate some honey. Dad, I, I, I didn't, he didn't say this, but I, I have to think he would have liked to have said, at least it's not recorded, Dad, I didn't even hear the directive. Nobody told me we weren't supposed to eat until after I'd already eaten it. You, you never even communicated with me directly, and now it's a capital offense? Now I'm getting capitally punished? I have to die now? And Saul had no grace. There was no, no mercy. It was, yes, you've got to die. You should have known better. But nobody taught me, Dad. Nobody told me. You should have known better. I don't know about you, but I've been there, holding those in my life to unreasonable standards, a thing they could never measure up to. And what does that create? It creates frustration. It creates toxicity. It creates bitterness. It it creates contention. I am not saying that that as leaders, we should not have any structure. There should not be any, any guidelines. There should not be enforcement. There should not be correction. There should not be reproof. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, well, I don't want to be a toxic leader, so I just got to let everything go. I'm not saying that, but they ought to be reasonable standards. They ought to be, there ought to be some biblical basis to them. And if there's not, we need to explain, here's, I don't have biblical basis, but this is my preference. This is where I'm at. And here's why, and let's talk about it. And there ought to be some reasonableness to our leadership in these areas. Think about the hurt and discouragement and fear that this led to in Jonathan's life and in the lives of all the other men, the way that this killed the morale of their army. Because Saul, he held people to standards he didn't hold himself to. And what did that lead to? It led to a dangerous spot in his life and leadership. And then lastly, the last part I want you to see here. Look at verse 45. Verse 45. And the people said unto Saul, now finally, thankfully, some of the people stand up and speak into Saul's life. The people said unto Saul, shall Jonathan die who hath wrought this great salvation in Israel? What did the people notice? God was using Jonathan in great ways. What did Saul notice? None of it. You don't find anywhere, once Saul becomes king, I don't believe you can find anywhere that Saul ever saw the good in his son. You don't find anywhere that he praised his son. He was constantly finding what he didn't like. Verse number 45, And the people said unto Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who hath wrought this great salvation in Israel? God forbid! As the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he hath wrought with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, that he died not. How sad that was that the people had to rescue Jonathan from his own dad. But here's the thing. Everybody else could see the good in Jonathan's life, but his own dad couldn't. Everybody else could see God was at work in and through his life and leadership. His own dad either couldn't or he was so threatened by him that he refused to recognize it. And here is, here is 
the fourth warning sign that I see in this passage before he gets to utter destruction. The fourth warning sign I see in Saul's life. Toxic leaders, we don't ever recognize the good, only the bad. We don't ever recognize the good. And I'm great at finding, I'm, I'm a little OCD, I'm great at finding what's wrong with anything. I can walk into a store and see what's not right there. And I can walk into a, into a group of people and I can walk into somebody's home and I can find that which I would disagree with right away. And by the way, there is something to godly discernment, but sometimes we, we, we couch our, our carnal critical spirit as godly discernment and that's not what it is. And I need to be careful. I ought not be always finding what's wrong with my wife. Always finding what's wrong with my kids. That doesn't mean we don't correct. There's correction that happens every day in our home. But there, all, there ought to be more praise than there is correction. Always finding what's wrong with our church. Well, why didn't that one show up? Oh, probably, yeah, they probably, they probably don't love God as much as... So. Always finding what's wrong with the music. Always finding what's wrong with the preaching. Always finding what's wrong with the leadership. Always find, and, and again, we just talked about a lack of honest communication. I'm not saying don't deal with real problems when they arise. I'm saying be careful about a spirit and I've been there, it's, it's probably what I lean toward, of always finding the negative over the positive. Saul didn't ever recognize the good, only the bad. Two weeks ago, I read a statement that I've probably thought about every day since. And here was the statement. Be as specific with your encouragement as you are with your criticism. Be as specific with your encouragement as you are with your criticism. Once Saul becomes king, we don't ever find him saying anything good to or about his son Jonathan. He's constantly finding fault and pointing out what he doesn't like while he's got all kinds of things in his own life that need to be dealt with, and he refuses to see them. In the day and age in which we live, we've become empowered to let our voices be heard when we don't like something, haven't we? There's social media, there are review sites for everything. You can jump on Google and give a review. You can jump on, on Yelp and give a review. You can jump on Facebook and give a review. And I've left some negative reviews for some companies. And I'm not saying you can't ever do that. But isn't it amazing? We'll, we'll leave a bad review on Yelp or on Google or talk to a manager when our food is a little cold at a restaurant. When was the last time you asked to talk to a manager when you received great service? When you came in, the waiter took your order, brought it correctly, and you left, did you stop to thank that person and or let their supervisor know, hey, your, your, your waiter did a great job. You know what the waiter only hears? Complaints. Most of the time. You know what the manager mostly only hears? Complaints. It's so easy to find what we don't like and to act on that and not the other. Again, we'll talk to the coach when our kid doesn't get the playing time we want them to have. When was the last time you talked to the coach to say thank you for investing in teaching my child every day? And by the way, I'm a coach here, and, and my kids play in the sports team. I, nobody's talked to me about their son's playing time this season. This is not a subliminal message to anybody that came and said I need to play their kid more. I'm not preaching about anybody. I'm just talking in general. When was the last time? We'll go when we disagree with a decision a leader made. When was the last time we went to praise and appreciate a decision a leader made? We'll shoot off an email to a teacher when we don't like something little Johnny told us about today. When was the last time we were just as quick to shoot off an email to say thank you for spending seven hours a day investing in our child? Talking to myself. I've got four kids in the school. Can I be honest? 2021, I haven't sent a single email to any teacher. Thank you. I don't think. Maybe, maybe one thanking them for their investment in my child. And let me just interject, when Johnny tells you a story, it almost is never gonna be the full story. 
I've learned that having five kids in school for the last 18 years. Most of the time, my kids are not telling me the whole story. They're telling me the part of the story they want me to hear. I've heard it said, and it's not just in school, with all of us, there are usually three sides to every story. Your side, my side, and the truth. And again, I'm not, I'm not against this dealing. I'm going to give an illustration here. Dealing with issues and concerns from school families and church families is part of the territory as leaders. And I'm not, I'm not against that. I, I, I welcome and love open and honest communication. I'm not opposed to that at all. It's part of the territory. It probably happens in my life, Mr. Cyprian back there in his life, teachers that are here in their lives. If you're a leader at work, it probably happens in your life regularly on a weekly or daily basis where, where we're, there's a conversation or a meeting or an email or a text. And I thought about this in my own life, and it was driven home to me recently. And in the last couple of weeks, a good family, good family in our school, sent a detailed email to Mr. Cyprian outlining their concerns and struggles with some things that were happening as it related to their child at NCS. They were not disrespectful in any way, and they were not wrong in, in, in any way that they said anything that they communicated. The, and the only reason I get these, I, I get, I'm, communi- I'm copied on things like this probably every week at some point. The only reason this one struck me a little differently is because Mr. Cyprian, about 30 minutes before I read the email I was copied on, I had sent you a text saying happy birthday. And I kind of thought, man, that's a bummer. He's got to deal with this on his birthday, but that's why we pay him the big bucks. So put your big boy pants on and, and deal with it. And I thought, man, that kind of stinks. It's probably the only communication he's going to have with this good family on his birthday. And, and again, while, while Mr. Cyprian is a big boy and dealing with concerns from parents is a necessary part of his job, and when he does well, he does it weekly, maybe daily, I immediately thought as I read the email, I wonder if any parents took the time to wish him a happy birthday today or to send him an email thanking him for the decades of sacrifice and investment he's made in their family and other families. I wonder if anybody has sent just as detailed of an email to thank him for all the good effects his leadership has had. And here's why I tell you the story. Because I was sitting there on my high horse wondering if there was any other teachers that did that. And here's where the Lord convicted me. I have four kids in this school. Last year I had five kids in this school. You know how many detailed emails I've sent Mr. Cyprian this year to thank him for his investment in my children's lives? I'm pretty sure the number is zero, Mr. Cyprian. And I got thinking, and I've had meetings with Kevin as leaders where we things that are negative that we have to deal with. Kevin, you dropped the ball there. Why'd you do that? We've got we to fix that. You've got to deal with that teacher here. We've got to deal with that student. Hey, I got this report. Check and see what's happening there. I've had to deal with many negative things with Mr. Cyprian, and those have to be dealt with. And I got convicted. Hey, Ryan, don't worry about what any other school family's doing or not doing. You're a school family, and all you've pointed out to Mr. Cyprian are negatives too. You're not emailing him with detailed lists of how thankful you are for his labor of love. And I got convicted. And, and again, I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't have those difficult conversations. That family did nothing wrong. I talked about that earlier in the message. We, we, we need honest communication. We all need that in our lives. What I am saying is for all of us, the Lord, he brought that, that phrase right back to my mind. Be as specific in your encouragement as you are in your criticism. What I am saying is let's make sure we don't only notice and talk about the negatives. Let's notice and talk about the positives as well. If we don't have a problem sending a detail email with criticisms and concerns. Let's also be guilty of sending detailed emails with praise and appreciation. If we don't have a problem telling our children and our teenagers what what we're tired of and what we don't like and why didn't you clean that up and why are you always doing that? Let's be just as guilty as praising our young person. I'm proud of you for the way you listened in church and I saw you reading your Bible there and the way you spoke to your mom that made me so happy and and I've found that in my own life. At times it's easy, it's natural to find the negative but I have to be really intentional to communicate the positive. I recently took my two older boys out and I I just praised them just for maybe 30 
seconds a minute. Not, we didn't talk for an hour. We were in the car. And that came because I had seen some good things in their lives. Not perfect. They're, they're still struggling through just like your kids are. But, but I'd seen some good things and I realized I'm on them for this and I'm on them for that. Did you get up here and go clean your room? And hey, when, when are you going to work on that with your business? And what did you do there? Did you make sure you gave the Lord your, your offering from what you made last week? And I'm on them for all these things. Am I ever praising them for the good that I see? And the answer is far too often no. As pastors, we can let the church members know everything we don't like about them. What about praising them for all their good, their labor, their faithfulness, their love, their investment, their sincerity? If we don't have a problem going to HR to complain about the boss, let's also communicate to HR about the good things the boss has done. If we feel the responsibility to point out what we don't like in, in, in anything, let's also feel the responsibility to express gratitude for the ways that God is using someone in our life, a Sunday school class or a youth group or a, a message. When was the last time you thanked your boss for the opportunity to work at your job? When was the last time you thanked your parents for their investment in your life? Teens, it's easy to find what we're frustrated with our parents about, isn't it? We find the bad and hardly ever the good. When was the last time you just said, Mom, Dad, thank you for all you do for me. Wrote him a note. Thank you for the sacrifices you make for me. Thank you for loving me. Oh, we'll let the, why don't you ever let me do that? Well, that teenager gets to do that. My friend gets to have that. And again, have the conversations. But are we as specific in our encouragements as we are in our criticisms? When was the last time you pointed out something you were proud of in your children? When was the last time you encouraged a spiritual leader in your life? When was the last time you communicated something specific that you appreciate about your spouse, about your siblings? You have, you're growing up with siblings? Oh, it's easy to find the things that annoy you about them, isn't it? When was the last time you communicated what you appreciate about them? I just saw Kelsey. Often Kelsey knows I like peeps. And, and Kelsey will bring me a, a note, or Kaylee has in the past as well. And it might seem stupid to you. But there have been multiple times since I've been your pastor that Kelsey has come and, and brought me a, a note and a letter, and Kaylee has as well, with, and saying, thank you for being my pastor. Here's some peeps. Just a dumb little $1. But you know what that was? That was a mom or a dad while they were shopping, going out of their way to tell, help their children encourage their pastor. And it's a dollar. I got eight of them sitting at home. Sounds good. I might eat them tonight, actually. I got one pack. I haven't opened not from you, it's, those would be old right now. I think that was last Easter, but, but somebody gave me a box. I don't know, no pressure to get me a box of peeps this week, Sarah. All right, no pressure at all. Hey, it's a dollar worth of marshmallows, but you know what that does? That's an encourage. And I'm not, I'm not saying, that, please, God's people are very good at encouraging me. There are multiple ones in our church that encourage me weekly. With, with, I'm not, this is not a message saying encourage me. This is a message saying how are you doing encouraging those that are investing and ministering in your lives at work, at home, at school? Please, don't, don't, I'm not, this is not a, everybody, I get, I get probably far more than anybody else in this room does of encouragement. God keeps me very encouraged. This is a challenge to all of us. How are we doing in those this goes for our children, our spouses, our bosses, our employees, and God. We let God know what we wish were different in our lives. And that's okay, I guess, to be honest with him. But do you ever just praise him and thank him for what, what isn't different in your life? For who he is and all, that he's, all the benefits he's loaded with you with daily? 
Too often I freely complain and criticize about the things I don't like in those around me. May God help me to even more freely and specifically praise and appreciate the good in, in my Christian family, in my kids, in my wife, in my co-laborers, in my friends, in, in our extended family here. Be as specific in your encouragement as you are in your criticism. Toxic leaders quickly see the bad and are much slower to ever see the good. And this creates a toxic environment for all those around you. It affects our marriages. It affects our families. It affects our churches, our workplaces, and more. Saul's life and leadership is about to spiral out of control in chapter 15. I wish he would have seen the warning signs. Saul, it's not all their fault. Take some personal responsibility. Saul, let somebody, let Samuel, let somebody speak into your life. Let somebody be honest with you where you're getting off track in your leadership. Saul, don't think you have all the answers. Saul, don't hold these people to unreasonable standards. Be a, a humble servant leader. Saul, don't only recognize the bad, recognize the good. But we can't change Saul. You know who we can change? By the way, you can't change your boss or your spouse or your kids or any other leader in your life. You know who we can change? Ourselves. Do you see any of these four creeping up in your life? I told you the Lord crawled all over me this week because I see a couple of these that, that, that rear their head multiple times regularly in my life. A lack of personal responsibility, is it always somebody else's fault? A lack of honest communication, can anybody correct you and speak into your life? Do you hold people to unreasonable standards, always finding fault? Are you quick to recognize the bad and slow to recognize the good? Be on guard. If you are, you may be on a path to a destructive toxicity in your life. And what do you do? If you see a warning sign telling you, bridge out, stop the car, turn around, and go down another path. If you see any of these in your life, stop the car, turn around, and go down another path. Start taking personal responsibility, pastor, people. Start letting people speak into your life. Seek out that accountability. Ask them, say, here's where I'm at. Ask your wife or your husband, be honest with me. What blind spots do you see in my life right now? That's hard. That's hard to do, but it's so healthy. Ask yourself, am I being reasonable in the standards I'm holding everybody else to that I'm not fulfilling in my own life? That's what Saul was doing. And then ask yourself, when was the last time I was as specific with my encouragements as I was with my criticisms. All four of those in Saul's life, he couldn't see the good in his son. Everybody else saw it. All four of those, in my opinion, were warning signs that could have helped him and spared him from the destruction we find in chapter 15. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.